as we go through this today, uh, you're going to hear a lot of information. Do not worry. You will not be tested. Okay? I'm giving you a lot of information, but I'm not expecting you to retain everything. The goal of this today, the goal of all of this study, is that you can get an introduction, you can be equipped, and then you can study out further the things that you would like to study. Uh, one of the things that I never enjoyed, the things that I never enjoyed, when, when I was in school is when teachers would make me study things I didn't really care about, right? And, and so you, you were in a class that you rather enjoyed, but then you'd hit that space in your class where you're like, really? I don't care about that. Um, so this is one of those things. If you're not there right now, eh, let it rest for a while. Go to something you're really passionate about with these studies and then come back to it because I'm sure it will make its way back. The other thing that I wanted to clarify for you is that everything we're doing is rooted in something that we call systematic theology. And it takes us through a process. It, it says, basically, if we're going to talk about prayer, there's some things you need to know about God first. And so there's a systematic way of studying and understanding God. So that's um, kind of like saying there's a pattern that should be followed to understand God. So systematic theology. And if you don't get that still, it's kind of like math, all right? You have to start with uh, addition before you get to, you know, multiplication and division. There's, there's building blocks. So the very first weeks when we were studying God of covenant, and we were talk about, talking about the attributes of God as God being a God who goes first, as God being the ultimate creator God of the universe, we were helping to and trying to establish the wonder of God from the very beginning. Then when we talked about after that covenant, recognizing that God moved first, then we went to the redemption story and helping us understand that God is a God who goes first and does the work for us, the redemption process of bringing us in. As we moved on, after that now, we've taken on the Bible. And there was a lot of stuff to cover last week about the Bible. There's so much about this text. I could go on for days and weeks and hours and, and months and years about the Bible. Just in particular, just the, the facts about the Bible are inspiring. People who were here last week and, and heard the, the presentation last week and did the study this week, hopefully there's no, well, honestly, there's no way you can walk away and go, yeah, it's just another good book. People who say that are ignorant of the facts. And so what we do is we recognize the Bible as our, the inspired word of, word of God, the ultimate authority. Remember 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, all scripture is God-breathed, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's what the Bible is, and that's what the Bible says the Bible is. And then secondly, we went to the bottom line that we had last week, and, and it says the Bible is God's inspired word of revelation and exists as our single highest authority for living. There is no authority, there is no law, there is no written thing that is above the authority of the word of God, period. So when I hold this nice, large, leather-bound Bible in my hand, I am holding the ultimate authority in my hand. When I read it, I find life, and I find truth. And so we want to know, okay, if this is the deal, if this is what it says it is, if, 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 we, if we get a handle on that, then how do we get rooted in this word? 
Well, let's start here just with some, some basics about the Bible. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but when we were kids, uh, this was kind of the illustration that we got. It was on like our little Sunday school flyers, and it was the breakdown of how the Bible is, is written out. So we had this, I mean, it could look a little more exciting, honestly, you know, but this is, this is just how it went, right? And so we started with um, the law, the books of the law, and those things, those are called the Pentateuch. They're written 3,000 plus years ago. Um, they, they're, they're, another word for it would be the five vessels. And that was the starting ground, the basis for the Old Testament. For most part, they're both Jewish and Christian tradition that um, ha, is accredited to Moses as the writer. And that's kind of the, that's, that is the foundation. That's what um, all good Jewish boys would have learned in school from the very beginning. The next, we find the historical books of the Bible. There's 12 of those. And so you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then you got Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, right? Then you got Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, okay? And then we move on to the next section, which would be poetry and books of wisdom, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, right? Well, what? So there's five of those. And then you get to the major and the minor prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Those are the major and then you get to Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi as the follow-up, okay? And then, uh, and those are the minors. Then you go to the Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and we have the book of Acts. And if you, this is what our sixth graders are doing in their Christian education, by the way, just so you know. This is, they lay it out in cards and memorize the whole thing. It's pretty incredible. Then you get to the epistles. You have the Pauline epistles, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon. Ooh, I've practiced. Can you tell? And then you go to the general epistles, Hebrews, James, 1 and 2 Peter, 1 and 2 3 John, and then that one lone book at the bottom, Revelation. It gets its own book. Because everybody goes, Revelation, whoa, that's deep, right? And, and uh, so the study of Revelation and the seven bowls and the seven fires and the tongues and, ah, you know, we get into that stuff, right? And so basically that's kind of how we break that out. And if you were to classify it, that's kind of how we know that. Um, Moving on, there's a lot of ways to study the Bible, and I'm just going to kind of blow through a few of these, and I know I'm probably overwhelming at this point, but there's lots of different methods. There's the topical Bible study, so like, for instance, if you wanted to understand atonement, you'd go to your resources and you'd look up atonement, and you'd study the topic of atonement, like we did in the first uh, couple sessions where we talk about redemption, uh, where we talked about covenant. You really get into a topical study of a, a concept or a word or an idea and principle. The second one, a chapter summary method, uh, that's another way where you can dig a little bit be- deeper, but you just take the chapter of a book or, or narrow it down, and you try to give a general summary of what that says. The book survey method. 
The book survey basically gives you time and, and you take elements of the entirety of the book and you go through and you survey the book. Here's, here's the general principles, here's the ideas behind it and that's what this complete book is. So I'm gonna talk about this resource real quick. The Know Your Bible resource that we've handed out, it's a nifty little thing and if you ever are discipling somebody, make sure you knock on our door and get a copy of this because this is a great way to introduce people to the books of the Bible and what it is. So what they've done is uh, the authors of this book and the people that published it, they went through and they basically listed out the authors, the date. Uh, In 10 words or less, what is this book about? The details, the, the quotable sections, the most quotable verses of that book. Now, uh, for me, when you get to like Romans, that can take up like a whole book in and of itself, but uh, that's just how I roll. Um, The unique and unusual things about that book, and then the question like, so what? So what does it mean? How does it apply? That's what this resource is for. So if anybody, you know, you're getting ready to do a Bible study and they announce, hey, we're doing Ezra Nehemiah, you can whip out your little book and you can say, oh, I know some key elements about that and you'll sound really smart at least for the first week that you meet together, okay? So, so that's a good resource for us to just have there. The other thing is that I wanted, I wanted to point out the verse-by-first analysis method. Now, this takes us a little bit deeper. When you just start going and picking through the verses in the chapter, that's, that's some deep stuff. And, and so you got to be uh, ready to spend some time in there. There's the thematic method. Again, themes of the Bible, word studies, character analysis, devotional method. There's so many different ways we can study the Bible. But again, it's alive and it's active and it works in a lot of different ways. And there are some will say, this is the only way. And I would say, I don't think so. There's, there's a lot of methods that you can use because the Bible is so active. Now, here's some research tools. You got your concordance, your commentaries, your study Bibles, your lexicons, your Bible dictionary, encyclopedia, Bible almanacs, maps, books about the Bible, Bible pamphlets, and Bible history on DVD or CD. And now you can watch the Bible series if you want to just scratch the surface, okay? Again, the Bible is the most used, the most widely sold, the most widely understood and known book in the history of the world. There's a lot of work that's been done in the Bible, about the Bible, leading toward the Bible, and it's our job to use whatever resources we can to do an adequate amount of study to understand it for our lives, families, and to be able to communicate the message of God to this world. So here's what we're going to do is just for the next few minutes, and I'm, again, uh, I got a, I'm full at this point. Um, so I'm going to take you through a few things to fill in in your notes and, and kind of help uh, equip you a little bit. The first thing that we want to do when we're doing a Bible study is ask yourself, what do I see? Every time we study the Bible, we need to ask, okay, so what do I see when I'm reading this section of Scripture? What you want to do is is as you uh, sit down and you set aside some time to read a section of Scripture, whether large or small, you want to ask, "What, what, what just sticks out to me? And then you can go a little bit farther. And here's some things 
Uh, Pastor Ed Fixie used to run a class for our junior high kids and did it a few times where he taught them how to mark and, and, and do things and highlight their Bibles. It was so really cool. And it, you, know, you felt like here's like an Old Testament prophet come to tell us the truth, right? And, and he would come and he would sit down with them and these kids would mark up their Bibles. And, and here's just a few things that, that are some suggestions. Take some time to mark and highlight passages of your Bible. It is, not, it is a holy book in its writing. It is not holy in its page. So mark it, make notes, underline one of the key things, underline some verbs, things that cause action, right? Circle key words or phrases. Highlight repeated words or phrases. And be aware of those connecting words that happen along in there. I'm not going to go through and detail each of those. I think uh, you guys are pretty smart people. You can figure a lot of that out. But when the Bible says something repeatedly, or there's words or phrases that stick out to you as, as really sending up something in your mind, grab a highlighter. Mark it up. Now, don't be one of those people that, you know, you open up the page and every single line is pink highlighted. That doesn't make you look any holier. It just makes you look like you had a lot of fun coloring, okay? Um, I would say be intentional with what you do, but make sure you, you, you mark it down. There's a, uh, one thing my mom used to do when we were growing up, and it kind of transferred over to me, and so my Bible was all marked up uh, doing this. Every time my dad was preaching, uh, she would underline the passages of Scripture, and then she would just date it. The fun part was when he would repeat a message, and I'd be like, ah, that was only three years ago, dude. Your repeat list is a little short, right? And so we'd call him on it when he came home, and that's the life of a pastor's kid, right? Okay, we have bad senses of humor. Um, but as we would go on, one of the things that we notice is the connecting words, and I want to draw your attention to those. Um, when they compare things or contrast things, um, there's, there's a purpose, a result. So comparison either points out similarities between two or more related ideas, kind of like, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, right? Comparing. Contrasting points out dissimilarities, and you guys have seen that in <clears throat> your study in school. It, it, Jews ask for signs, but we preach Christ crucified, right? Contrasting. Purpose indicates the intended goal or idea of an action. You think about this. I have made myself a slave to all that I might win the more. There's purpose in there. Here's why we're doing it. Um, there's result, right? Very similar to purpose, but indicates the actual consequence. So example would be, I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one would say, right? There's, there's those linking words there that are very important. The results. The cause expresses the basis or cause of an action. Um, it, this would be, uh, again, I praise you because you remember me in everything. Right? Especially when it says because, you can kind of figure out it's cause. Okay, anyway. Um, uh, explanation, that's another one. What follows further explains the previous idea. So, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. So it's explaining something about that spirit. Inference, and, and that's kind of assuming or, or letting people know that you can take this from what I'm saying. Provides a logical consequence. For this reason, I have sent you Timothy, Right? So he's inferring 
That they would understand. And then the condition presents a condition that must occur before certain action or conclusion can occur. And it's kind of like, if any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. And so it's if, you know, so it gives that big idea, that conditional phrase. Those are all things to be noted. Those are all things to take a look at. And when you're studying the word, those are things you want to, as you get deeper into it, you can take note. You can mark those things out. Um, here's what we want to encourage you to do as well. Uh, list two to, two to three primary thing, themes you see in the passage when you're cruising, cruising through a section of Scripture. So maybe you've read that, but like in your Bible studies, we're kind of pushing you to do that. For instance, I think it was uh, this week where we said, now list five things you saw in this section. Because it's really important. Sometimes we can just read through and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's nice, it's nice. But when we get to the bullet points, when we have to really mark some things down that we note, it helps us to engage the text. Here's another one. Write two or more observations per verse. You can break it down from primary themes to observations by verse. And then <clears throat> uh, I put in here, record your own interpretive questions. Record your own interpretive questions. So, so maybe what we need to do, and, and this would be a challenge that I would put out to all of our Bible studies uh, globally here, and, and especially at TCC, is engaging the Scripture beyond taking in and regurgitating. Like, help us understand how, right, when we ask you, how does that make you feel? Did this cause an issue for you? Did, did this make you question? Or has this done something in your heart? That that's where we get into this place where we record our own questions and we record our own places where, where we ask different kind of things in here. So, for instance, you can ask <clears throat> the question of, like, who? Who is Paul talking about? Um, who is accomplishing the action? Who is benefiting from this, right? And then you get to the other question, what? What's the meaning of this word or the significance of the phrase or the implication of the statement? And then you can even go as far to go to the why. You can ask, why did Paul choose this word? Why did he include this statement or phrase or command? How do we connect these ideas? Why is it there? And when we ask these kind of questions, who, what, why, we start to really understand a little bit more about the text. It's not just, and Paul said, blah, 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 blah. It's, I'm wondering what Paul was thinking there. I wonder what was going through his mind. And that's actually what we get in a lot of good preaching. We'll get people that interplay and interject with the scripture and help make it alive and help bring it to light to us. So some very specific things. So if, if you're considering the state of being that the writer is in, for instance, so Paul was in prison here and he's sending this out what kind of state he might find himself, or John was alone and, and he was sent out and apart. So what, what state are they finding themselves in and how is God speaking to them and how is God using them to speak scripture and life into us? Again, working through the word is a big deal. And then the next one, interpret principles. Interpretation is a big uh, concept when it comes to 
the Bible. Our observation of a passage should have stirred up interesting and challenging questions leading us to this interpretation stage. Fortunately, we don't have to run to a commentary or, or Bible for answers, a, a study Bible, I mean. Uh, those things are helpful tools, but really there's some principles for interpretation that we can use where we don't just have to jump straight from, I'm reading this, and then, oh, I better look and see what somebody else has to say about this. One of the things that the reformers did is they looked into the Word and the Holy Spirit began to speak to them and help them understand that, that there were some things out of whack in the church, that there were some, some things that were not being followed. And they looked and they said, the Word is speaking to us, right? They didn't have all these commentaries. They didn't have all this stuff laid out for them in the way that we see. And what we do sometimes, and I want us to be careful, while we're giving you lots of resource, what we tend to do sometimes is just look to see what somebody else said without letting the Word speak to us. And so we'll take you through the process because we've got to be cautious in how we do that too because you can also come out with like, you know, like last week's video, the little duck ideas, right? They're not good. (sighs) Take a breath, Jeff. Principle number one, your goal is to discern the author's intended meaning to the original audience. Now there's not, I think this is the section where we don't fill in a lot, I'm not sure, but um, intended meaning to the original audience. First thing you want to do, especially when you're starting Bible study, and I probably should have put this in big, bold letters before I even said the first thing about observation, is you start with prayer. But especially when you get to interpretation, you start with prayer. Because now you're not just reading, but you're asking God, help me understand. Help me to interpret what you have for me here. And it can't happen unless we are in a place of submitted prayer And humility before the word as we get into it. Always start the study with prayer. Avoid reading your 21st century circumstances and theological issues into the text. That's a big one. That's a big one. Because what we naturally do is we try to put ourselves into the story, right? Which, that's never a good idea because we are never the good guy, all right? If you ever imagine yourself as like, I'm David, I'm killing the judge, that's not you, all right? And, and here's the idea. When we interject our circumstances and issues, there's a place for that in application, but not in interpretation. Interpretation needs to take the text and for what it is with the intended and original meaning and audience. And we work diligently to see the text from the point of view of the original readers, See it how they might see it. Again, this takes more than just taking it in and spitting it back out. Taking it in and reading somebody else's thoughts. We have to try to investigate that a little bit deeper. Principle number two, assume a normal use of language. Okay, When we say a normal use of language, a lot of people have an idea that there is like some mystical thing underlying all of the words of the Bible. And if you just, like those, those um, what were they, in the mall where you stood and you like tried to go cross-eyed and then you could finally see the picture, right? That's the way a lot of people look at the Bible. Like, if I stare at this long enough and lay my hand just right on one foot and stick my tongue out, maybe I'll be able to understand this. The Bible is very, pretty plain, in the way that it's written. It was written and intended to be understood, not to be a magical mystery, right? Some people see these Bibles covered in leather and they picture that it must be like some kind of wizardry, 
in here, you know. It's some kind of magical thing. And that's not what it's intended for. It was intended for life and to be understood. And so we study the grammar. And I know grammar is probably not the most invigorating thing you've ever thought of. Uh, when I was in eighth grade, um, I took my standardized test, right? And they let me know that I had a fourth grade, second month grammar level. <laughs> Booyah! And I credit my parents for that because in fourth grade and fifth grade, we ended up moving from Texas to California. And so I missed because they were waiting till the end of the year to do grammar and this one did it at the beginning of the year and we just swapped and I just missed it right so college was a doozy for me I had a crash course all right so grammar though is a big way that we can understand how and why things are being said and then also remember that the chapters came later remember the chapters didn't arrive until like uh, 1200 and 1500 AD it's kind of crazy so when we're reading it, don't picture it that they wrote, oh, okay, now I'm going to start a new chapter today. That's how we picture that. The next thing that we'll take you through is principle number thing three, let Scripture interpret Scripture. So last week we talked about the Bible, and one major section of the presentation was, what does the Bible have to say about the Bible? And, and I want to be very, I want you to clearly understand the, the way that we're using this study and the way that we're designing this study. This is not good ideas from Jeff and Sarah. This is not high fives for the RCA and Steve Deist, right? This is not how we're rolling this. What we're doing is we're taking the word and we're letting it work in us and through us to understand principles and systematic theology, so when we say, what is the Bible? We say, well, what does the Bible say the Bible is? And we let it speak for itself. And that's a big one. And so we let Scripture interpret Scripture. So in those places where we have questions or, or there's dangling strings of ideas in our minds, what we do is we say, okay, so how do I go to other places in Scripture that may relate to this concept? How do I find those? And you can do that through your concordance or lexicons or th those kind of things that are available to you. And you can say, so, so how does the Old Testament speak to this in the New Testament? And how does uh, what Paul has to say, how does Peter or how do the Gospels in, it, it help us understand that and lead us to that? And then always check your conclusions. Now, if you come to this like majesty of conclusions and you've never heard it that way before, check with somebody okay because the worst thing that you can do is stand up the bible says and you begin to tell everybody this new way of thinking that's called heresy most of the time all right and we don't want to build about a heretical idea or concept all because we didn't check our conclusions so what you want to do is consider where the word says there's nothing new under the sun that there have been people studying this word for years and years and years and years and hundreds of years and let a little bit of your conclusions, that's where you begin to check them. Say, so here's what I think I'm seeing. And you follow through with that line of thinking to make sure it follows the proper theology. Allow clear passages to illuminate ambiguous passages. See, when people point out, oh, the Bible's full of contradictions, or oh, there's so many problems with the Bibles, what they'll do is they'll take kind of ambiguous things about the Bible or, or concepts or, or places that aren't super clear, and, and they'll just ride those out. When in reality, usually really close or really closely related, there's another passage of Scripture that clearly explains exactly what's being said over there if you'll just spend the time to study it out. Okay? Um, the next 
things I have here, sorry, it gets a little smaller. One, use the context. Two, compare multiple translations. Now, what you're going to see is in your notes or, or your additional reading, um, we put in here, one, we just put Johnny Mac up front because he's like the authority on the Bible. That's John MacArthur, all right? So um, uh, the second thing in your stapled pages right here, Bible translation chart, and we kind of got it cut off, I'm seeing here, but uh, we can work with that. Um, these are helping you understand what the different translations of the Bible are and, and how they work. So you may say, why have I heard from so many people that they don't like the message version, right? I just, I, there's some people that are really like angry about the message. Well, you, you can even go to this translation continuum that we've conclu- put together for you, right? And it says, uh, honestly, what it was, it was a thought for thought kind of big concept thing. It was never meant to be like, here's the exact word that was used in this place for this time. It's more of a conceptual thing. So when you come into the very details of, of a section of scripture, don't go to that version for that. You want to go as far to the left of that scale as you can to kind of get a better idea. So a lot of people use the NASB. Uh, in reform circles, a lot of us use the ESV uh, translation, but that's why we put it in here is we want you to understand. So if you're in the Bible bookstore and you're looking for a Bible for your kids, pull out this little handy dandy thing before you head there and think, okay, so what am I looking for for my kids? What would be the best use? And what reading level kind of is that at? And how can we understand this a little bit better? All right. Um, Look up keywords. Study cross-references. Look up background info. Those are all pieces that go into this. But tackle those tough questions in a step-by-step process. And I want to be very clear that when we get to questions and answers and looking for how do we get to the end result and how do we answer some of those big things, here's kind of a general way to handle this. And I'm, getting, I'm wrapping up here. The first thing, and, and I didn't put this in your notes for you to write in and fill in, and I'm sorry for those of you who really like to do that. You can just make a sidebar here, Okay. The first thing, when we get to go into that step-by-step method of of answering and tackling those tough tough questions, first of all, list all the options. Start by brainstorming every possible answer to your question that you got. Now, some people are like, well, that just takes a lot of time. Well, you're studying the Bible. You're not going to get like, you realize 40 authors, 1,500 years, three different continents, three different languages, and you're going to spend five minutes a day and become a pro? Right? So anybody who says, you know, becoming a scholar is easy, they're losing it, right? Anybody who says they're going to get all, a hold of all these 66 books of the Bible and just, you know, we can, we can do this. You know, I, I got it all figured out. Well, that's a long way down the road. We want to take our time and we want to list out the possibilities brainstorm those things. If you like the bubble diagram, you can do those, however you like to do that. Secondly, list the pros and cons for each option. There are some things that you'll, you'll see right in your answers or right in your way of thinking that you go, you know what, that's probably not the answer. I mean, you know, mayonnaise probably was not part of the equation at that point. I'm trying to be funny, y'all. Just kind of keep it interactive, all right? So the idea is you want to make sure that you cancel out those things that just aren't quite there. And then also list the why this would be good to know or why this is something you're, you're probably going to have a little more of a question mark about. 
Thirdly, choose the most likely option. Again, in your survey, as you look through them, there's generally a couple things, maybe one, two, three things that stick out as, you know, from what I know of what I've studied before and the things that we've done in the Word, this probably, these kind of couple ideas really stand out to me. And then finally, decide on your level of certainty. Once you've chosen the best solution, step back for a second and just humbly gauge the certainty of your accuracy. And, and if you're for positive, sure, because of all the things that you've seen and, and you know, you've got it nailed down, there's, that's a good thing. But if you've still got a question mark where you're like, eh, then here's what I want to encourage you to do. Get with somebody who has spent a little more time or whose job it is to study this kind of stuff and, and go and say, hey, here's the conclusions that I've come up with. What, can we talk about that a little bit? Help me understand this. See, that's where the word and translation and interpretation and understanding of the word happens in community. There is one thing that, that I have found about being a part of this church that I love and I cherish, and, and we've talked about it before, but everything we do in worship to the holy God, one, it starts in our heart, but, but two, it's meant to be experienced as a community. And while I can take my Bible home and I can read and study and pray over it and I can do those things, interpretation and understanding and true understanding of the Scriptures takes place in community. So be clear, people that lock themselves in dark rooms with small lights and study all the time may not be the best interpretation because sometimes when we come out into the light, some of our ideas aren't always the best. I don't know about you guys, but have you ever done this? You sat at home and you get a great idea in your living room, right? And, and for Cindy and I, sometimes we can literally solve like 90% of the world's problems on my couch. Big couch, I can lay out, really think about it, right? And we get it all figured out. And then as soon as we step into the real world and have a conversation with somebody else, we go, oh, that wasn't a good idea. Ever, anybody ever done that before? Like, you just have it nailed. Okay, what you guys got to do? Sorry, I didn't mean to say that, right? And, and you realize, whoa, that's part of the deal with our interpretation of Scripture, Let's let the word speak to us. Let's do that. But then in community, let us seek out what God's saying to the body. And let us understand these things in a way that it's known to all of us. I'm not one with a new revelation. It's something that God's revealing to all of us. And finally, wrapping up with this as our final thing, apply it. List potential principles from your passage. I sound like Mr. Popper's penguins on this one. List potential principles from your passage and choose one principle and create a plan to apply it to your life this week. Really, we can understand and know the Word of God amazingly. We can have a handle on it, but, but having a handle and knowledge of the Scripture does not create maturity. Maturity is when we take the principles that we're understanding and we apply them to our life and begin to live it out. I know a lot of really intelligent people, really smart Bible scholars, who are some of the most immature believers that I know because they don't apply the implanted word into their daily life. 
And this has become more apparent than ever before, especially when raising children and teenagers. They point out the places where you may be smart in the head, but not in practice. And they'll point out, hey, weren't we supposed to do this? And if you think your kids are bad about it, think of what the world thinks when they know the way that we're supposed to behave and then they see us do something else. So pick a principle and apply it. So I want to give you this final thought here on the method that we do that, this. And this is from one of our church planters. He's, he's big with this right now. His name's Jordan, and he's an awesome guy, and I love him. He's great. He's got a new uh, church called Via Church up in Fresno, and, and he's, he does a lot of work with this. This is what he's taking uh, his uh, church through just for some of them, they've never studied the Bible. So this is the method they're using. And this is uh, in your notes specifically because I want you to be able to pass it along to somebody. The SOAP method. So read the section of Scripture and ask yourself, what stands out in this Scripture? That's the, the easiest and the first thing to do. What just sticks out to me? What, what kind of thing uh, do I notice most? Then observation. Write out what the verse means or what it makes you think of. Or why you understood it. Observing is thinking about the, how, why the Holy Spirit included this in the passage in the Bible. Observe it. And then thirdly, apply it. Write out something you need to do or believe as a response to the verse. Now, have you heard that twice now? Write it out. Big. So when we sit down to study the Bible, one of the key elements you want to have is a pen and paper or a notebook in your hand to really interact. And finally, write out a prayer for God's help to apply it. As we move on to the next weeks in our study, that's going to be a piece of, of one of our uh, discipleship elements that we want to write out some prayers, that we want to give God some time to work, a little pen and paper in our hand to see what he's saying to us. Because here's at the end of this, one of the most beautiful things is you get out your notebook when you're like way smarter, like 10 years down the road. And you go, oh, man, we were struggling right then. Man, I had a lot of questions right then. Or man, God was so good right then. It was so good. And you can reflect. And you can see where the word has been at work in your life. And that's the story of getting rooted. And that's this session. So let me pray over you today. Father God, I thank you for this day. You are a great and mighty and holy God. The moon and the stars declare who you are and your word speaks those principles to the depths of our soul. And we proclaim that you are sovereign over everything that we know. And we give you first place today. So in our groups, would you allow us to communicate the truth of your gospel and what you're doing in our hearts and in our lives this week would we be forever changed by the things that you teach us this week so that next week and the next days following those things that as we look in your word, you can continuing, continue helping us be in the image of you and the gift of your son. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.